0: It was continuing a role that I had felt fairly comfortable in being a resource ally to the environmental justice movement. So that was the identity that I was most comfortable in. And that's why I never envisioned myself as playing the role of executive director.
1: Welcome to the Be Change podcast, where your hosts, Warren Goldstein-Gelb.
2: And Marcy Goldstein-Gelb. This podcast is for leaders and emerging leaders who care about social change and about how to make a great difference in the world.
1: The podcast explores strategies, tools, and stories to help you strengthen your social change and nonprofit leadership skills.
2: When we spoke to Penn Lowe for the second time and brought him back, Uh, He gave some surprising comments, and anybody on the outside would see him as someone who's a very accomplished executive director, someone fairly confident, but what he was really highlighting is that he saw himself as more of a support, an ally in the environmental justice movement, and not as a leader or executive director. You know, that's right, and
1: that fits with the metaphor he used. Uh, It was a musical metaphor the metaphor was conductor and uh but not conductor of a classical uh traditional orchestra but rather the conductor of a jazz band a jazz band where the individual players were conducted but the conductor was bringing out the solos and the individual strengths of the uh of the band members what was interesting to me too was that um maria elena latono who was in a previous episode used the metaphor of dance for her leadership. So we have two people in, a, in two episodes talking about leadership from a musical perspective and describing it in you know similar terms. Now let's hear the episode. We're back and continuing the conversation with Pen Lowe. And to be um, brutally frank, the first part of the uh, conversation was held more than two years ago, Penn. Um, Sounds about right. And we're also in a different studio. um, An actual studio. An actual studio, not my uh, dining room table. And so we're at Somerville Community Media Center. So we're continuing the conversation with Penn Lowe, who is a senior lecturer and director of the Masters of Public Policy Program and Community Practice at Tufts University urban and environmental policy and planning program. In part one, you shared your experience at MIT and the twist uh, that you took from the engineering path to becoming a social justice activist. About eight years later, uh, you were hired as research and development director at ACE, Alternatives for Community and Environment. And within just a few years, you became the executive director of that organization. Uh, Full disclosure, um, I was hired at ACE just as you became associate director of the organization. So my first real question is, uh, did you realize when you were first hired at ACE that you had the leadership qualities to become ACE's executive director? And if not, what qualities
0: were you lacking? Short answer is no, I did not know. I was going to make a joke. And it's actually not really a joke because the fact that we hired you, Warren, at ACE allowed me to take on uh, other roles and to grow my leadership at ACE. And that was a really important part of my own trajectory and development within that organization. So so you did play a role in that. And the way that you framed the question um, makes me think that you know it really wasn't a question i had even considered it was not uh advancing or developing my path within ace in that way was not something i ever even imagined until partway into having been already appointed the interim director because uh, we had uh, veronica edie who was our first sole executive director who succeeded our co-founders after she left and I was appointed as the interim. Even during that period, I had no idea. Um, And it wasn't until staff and there were also board members who urged me to apply or to indicate my interest in becoming executive director.
1: So why were you so oblivious to the fact that you would
0: be an effective executive director? It had a lot to do with the reasons why our co-founders, who were also the co-directors for the first five to six years of the organization, when they transitioned out, right, there was a very um, explicit desire uh, to continue the path of growing an organization that was gonna be of the community. And so hiring, when they, when Bill Shutkin and Charlie Lord uh, left the organization, the executive director we hired in, Veronica Edie, was also a lawyer. And that was very important to the organization at that time since Bill and Charlie were both lawyers. Um, but the fact that she was a black woman who had uh, experience in environmental justice work, though not in Boston, was super important for the organization and its development and its own kind of evolving identity. So so that transition into leadership of color was a, a really incredible moment. It's one that is worth a whole podcast in and of itself at some point. So I was totally bought into that vision. And when I came on at ACE, it was continuing a role that I had felt fairly comfortable in being a resource ally to the environmental justice movement. It's something that um, when I first ran into environmental justice as a graduate student in a master's program, that was uh, the role that we took on. Even students in this organization I was in, students of color who were coming from environmental justice communities, even just recognizing the privileges that that we had uh, being at an elite university, right, put us into a position where we wanted to offer support uh, to grassroots leadership. And so that's the role that I found myself most comfortable in. And at ACE, that was kind of the role I took um, from the very beginning, from Organizational support roles in g- building out our uh, administrative systems and fundraising systems to supporting the various programs from the youth organizing to uh, the various legal and coalitions uh, that we were a part of. So, so that was the identity that I was most comfortable in, and that's why I never envisioned myself as playing the role of executive director. Mm-hmm.
1: What style of
0: leadership did you embrace and why? So when, when folks started to ask me and urge me to put myself out there as a possibility for the next executive director, you know, I had to overcome first my own assumptions and biases about what being an executive director meant. Warren, you'll, you'll remember both Bill and Charlie as co-executive directors. They each had very different personalities, um, but, but at least with one of them, right, there was, I think, a little bit more of the mold of executive leadership of someone who was perhaps charismatic, who could, could really uh, play to a crowd, right? The kind of person who could go and shake the trees and and get funding to fall out, right? And I guess that was the vision I had, and I knew that was not me. So mm-hmm. that's so that when you asked originally about the leadership skills, it had to do with my vision of what an executive director was, and what I came to embrace when I thought about it and reflected on it more. And this was, again, with the help of all the people around me who were saying to me that I was already doing a lot of the role Mm. as the associate director. And then I had to think about, well, what role have I been playing and and how has that made a difference? You know, what kind of leadership is that? And the metaphor that I used and that I finally became, grew to be comfortable with was being the director, uh, conductor of an orchestra. Right, So the person who's standing up there in front telling everybody what to do is the center of attention literally from the, the orchestra, the staff itself, as well as the audience. And that was not the role that I felt was appropriate for me to play in an organization like ACE. And so when I thought about it more, I said, well, you know, there's different versions of, of that kind of music too. So if, if we think about a jazz ensemble, who's the leader in a jazz ensemble? Well, it can be actually any of them and different people step up, different times, center stage. And when I thought about, you know, what does the rhythm section do in a jazz ensemble? You know, that's a critical leadership role, but it's not necessarily one that's out front. And so this idea that I could be the drummer in a jazz ensemble and be executive director uh, became something that, I thought was much more appropriate and a role that I felt like in part I was already playing and that I could uh, grow into. So so just kind of coming to to that vision of what executive director leadership style could be uh, made the difference for me in, in then deciding, okay, this is something I can do. Was that entirely your own metaphor? or I'm a big believer that there really isn't ever any... Truly original thinking, because right. any thought a human has had, it's likely, very, very likely, someone else has also had. But it was new to me, and I did spend a bit of time thinking about what it would mean to play that kind of role. I guess what I'm, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to
1: ask is, for a grassroots organization like ACE is and was, is there any style of leadership that you think is More appropriate than any other style in the sense that if you were trying to cultivate new grassroots leaders you could be the conductor of an orchestra but I have a feeling that you would think that um, being a jazz musician would be more appropriate am I wrong
0: so I guess looking back on it at this point I have a much more (laughs) uh, involved answer I think but Given the moment back then, so we were back in 1999, and where ACE was in its development, we were about, I wanna say at that point, eight or nine staff people. We were, I think, growing in our own capability and feeling like we were able to, to move the work through various programs that had established some track records, so it was a very exciting time of growth for ACE. We also had some incredible people on staff. And I think all of that combined made me think that that metaphor of the jazz ensemble was the right metaphor. That uh, I didn't have to be the kind of leader that was center stage all the time, or the only one on center stage. It it didn't mean that I was going to be an executive director that was purely in the background either. Yeah. But we had lots of other folks who could play different roles. So I had already had a lot of experience working with the core staff that we had at ACE in a very horizontal set of relationships. It, we were a pretty flat organization at that point. But my memory of it was that we had a leadership team that you had
1: tremendous respect for.
0: But I, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we, we had a lot of capability. So, so for me, I guess the answer in general is that it always depends, right? It depends right. on what type of organization or formation or group that you're a part of. It depends on who's in that group. It depends on what you're all trying to do,
1: right? And right? it de- yeah. and it depends on the individual person who's in the role. Yes. I mean, you weren't. I take it you were not particularly comfortable being the conductor. I mean, in a traditional sense, you didn't feel as qualified to play that role. You felt more
0: comfortable in a jazz ensemble.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is
0: that is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Looking back at the moment, um, placing it in perhaps a bit more context, maybe two other things I can say. Um, one is simply that we were at a particular point in nonprofit industrial complex where the sources of funding we had, the, the support that we had to blaze our own path as an organization was actually remarkably uh, strong and created space for us to do things in a more organic way. And so I, when I look back to that time, it was a very, I think, special time, maybe one that we didn't fully appreciate when we were in it. Yeah. Right. Because I, I see how that situation has changed, how other organizations, including ACE, have gone through uh, different stresses and strains of, you know, trying to keep funding coming in and continue to stay true to their mission and grow all the different sides of, yeah. right, of leadership and people and all of that. But I would say, you know, we were because of the particular situation we were in at that time, there was a lot of space, I think, for growth of. Of, of programs, of staff within those programs, of, you know, providing some, a lot of support to the type of uh, community leadership development that we wanted to, to be a part of and required uh, less of that type of conductor, orchestra conductor role from the executive director. A lot of times there are folks who have had less privileges and because of different dynamics of you know society and marginalization and all that don't think of themselves as being capable and I would say for me that was true in some senses and not true in others right so being first generation Chinese American I did live the model minority myth in that I was expected to and did excel in math and science and went and got an engineering degree. Uh, so kind of the expectations for succeeding on that front were very high, and society expected it. I expected it of myself. But being in leadership roles was, was not one of those things. Mm-hmm. Just for me, overcoming societal expectations and stereotypes was the reason why I didn't put myself out there to begin with. But fortunately for, for me, had just amazing people around me, including you and, and all the other staff, as well as several keyboard mem- board members who, who just said, look, you not only can do it, you are doing it. And, and they helped me to reflect on you know what was it that I could contribute. Well, I mean, I can ask you something, Warren, because okay. huh? uh, you were there <laughs> in this period that we're talking about. Um, I mean, I guess I'm curious what, what you thought. Did you have... Strong feelings about what my role should be.
1: No, well, I I thought you would be, you know, an excellent executive director. I respect and I'd like the style of leadership that you brought, which is one of the reasons you're being interviewed, because it's participatory and grassroots oriented. And so you gave people space to develop as leaders. So I I never really had a doubt that you would be effective as a leader.
0: I mean, did you have any sense of what things that I guess, what aspects or leadership qualities that I needed to develop most to kind of be fully effective in the role? I think one of the things that you
1: already had, that you were bringing to the role, was the characteristic of active listening. But I have come to feel like it's an important role for a leader to play. Instead of just, you know, conducting um i don't think i've answered your question i've tried
0: no that 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 helps
1: um Do you mind if I ask you just one lingering question? When you're talking about
0: a um, facilitative leadership model, and in the metaphor of being the jazz ensemble drummer, is it also an important skill to
1: know when to take a drum solo? And was that challenging for you to figure out when and really how to take that center stage position in the midst of being a facilitative leader? You
0: wanna identify yourself with that question?
1: Sure, I am the producer, John.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that's a great, I, I think you've, you've actually expressed it perfectly <laughs> in terms of how I felt. I did understand that there would be times where I would have to do that. And, and as Warren mentioned, um, I got more comfortable doing that by the end of my tenure in that position. And there's nothing like being thrust into the spotlight right to to actually develop the skills and to feel more comfortable and i you know a lot of it for me was just finding my own voice and understanding that when i'm performing in that role i don't have to be someone else really having the confidence to do that right and and i look back and think about all of the opportunities that i've had for leadership development and and it's like a classic formula of how organizers help people develop leadership, which is sometimes you just get pushed into doing it <laughs> and you sink or swim, right. Right? right? I know one of the first times I was in an environmental justice, um, big, big rally, like we had you know, taken a busload of people down to this small town that was fighting off an incinerator. And at that time, uh, Luke Cole, who uh, was kind of the pioneering environmental justice lawyer, right? And had come down with us. So they were like, oh, we need someone to speak to this, you know, couple thousand people who had gathered here representing our delegation, you know, that had come from the Bay Area. And uh and all of a sudden, there's a microphone in my hand. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, I feel like every single time I've had an opportunity to develop and be in center stage, it wasn't necessarily because I was looking for that opportunity, but because someone essentially made me do it. And then when I discovered that I actually could kind of do it, and all these things that we think of as leadership as being qualities of a person are all developable. I mean, yes, there are some people who I think maybe even come out of the womb feeling more comfortable and confident and can pull it off. But for most of the rest of us, these things are all things we have to to learn and sharpen and practice. I mean, I think
1: your style of leadership was clear that it was going to be effective right away to me. But... um it was very contrary to um, the styles that you usually associate with leadership. But I remember when you structured a conversation around organizing, we read about different organizers. Baker, Ella Baker, yeah. um, who doesn't really get the attention she deserves, and Martin Luther King gets or all of the attention, or 95% of the attention as a leader. You were more of an Ella Baker for a, for a long time. Uh, than a Martin Luther King, and I don't mean that as disrespectful, I mean it as a compliment. At the end of your time at ACE, or at the end of my time at ACE, you were developing the ability to be both charismatic and a listening right. uh, on the ground, I guess. But let's get back to me being the questioner. In those days, you know, you would never usurp my uh, <laughs> my role as the interviewer, and I, I actually welcome uh, the conversation we're having now that you've kind of come full circle. In a in a way, um, you're back in the university, and from your perspective as an educator at Tufts, what qualities do you feel are most essential
0: for new leaders? I think, again, the the answer is it depends on what type of initiative, organization, group, and the people involved. But I can say from the folks that I'm getting coming through our master's programs at, at, at Tufts UEP, I think there's a heavy emphasis on a facilitative leadership style. And I think I use that term, having been, and, and I know Warren, you too have gone through facilitative leadership trainings that of the kind that Interaction Institute yeah. for Social Change has done. Um, but I would say that general direction is is one that a lot of folks who are coming into our shop are looking to develop. I think they probably share a. Skepticism or just caution around the the more out front charismatic leadership style, and you know invest a lot more hope and and wanting to be in spaces where leadership is more collective. It's still a little bit difficult to name necessarily all the 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 things that it takes to do that, but um, but we've been developing ways to help support it, right. Um, the Teaching Democracy Popular Education workshops that, that we developed and are now uh, hosting at as a class at Tufts, a mini-class. And we have that open for community partners as well, but that's kind of a popular education intro. For those who may not know, can you say a little bit about
1: what popular education is?
0: Yeah, so, so in Teaching Democracy, we draw inspiration from traditions of popular education and community-based education and participatory educational styles that a lot of folks associate with uh, Paulo Freire and uh, the work that he's done and written about uh, through Pedagogy of the Oppressed and these notions that human beings by, by nature are, are learners and that uh, formal education systems have not been helpful. To helping people to develop their full capacities and has helped contribute to some of the divides in power and, and knowledge. And um, so, popular education tries to rest itself on uh, starting with people's experiences. It relies heavily on the idea that we are not, you know, that our experience as human beings is fundamentally social, right? And that collective experience uh, is so important so that we understand that what we experience is not just something that's unique to us or that has to do with some something that we're not doing as individuals or that we lack as individuals, but that you know, our conditions are shaped by the social conditions, right? And that includes the power relations and the structural inequalities. But to recognize and learn about those really requires a process of developing consciousness talking with other people who are experiencing the same thing and going through cycles of reflection and action, which is essentially the scientific process, right, to to figure out how uh, to become effective agents of change and to, to be able to more consciously and intentfully change those conditions that are causing the problems that we're trying to solve. Popular educators
1: commonly use the the banking model where you're essentially literally pouring knowledge into somebody's head mm-hmm. versus where you're pulling information or knowledge from the people in the room, even though it may not exactly be
0: your experience, but all experiences are valuable. Yeah, I think just the very notion of leadership in a popular education philosophy is uh, turned on its head too, because right, the whole idea of Teacher student, where like you said, in the banking model, the teacher is the one with the knowledge and makes deposits into right, yeah. the accounts of, of the students. In popular education, right, people like to say that students teach and teachers learn as well. Yeah. You know? But but a lot of the role that people who want To be popular educators right the teaching role they take on is really a facilitative role right and i mean there is such a thing as kind of adding new information and knowledge for sure the idea behind popular education isn't that people already know everything that they need to know but but they know a lot about their own experience and it's actually a necessary process yeah so i would say like those ideas of facilitative leadership of popular education i mean these are a lot of the things that now inform me and that that we're helping to develop some resources and tools for folks to be able to to use and embrace as future leaders or as current leaders yeah it's a little bit fraught doing that work just as a commentary on doing that from within the university which is maybe the epitome of, of the banking style of ed- education, but I think we've got a pretty unique space and ways that we engage with partners and ways that our students are demanding kind of real-world skills and being able to work in uh, communities in which, you know, the same as ACE when we were doing organizing and programs, the, the same the very same communities, so um, so I think these things are uh, starting to take root but but it is pushing back against a lot of uh, I would say the baggage of higher education yeah right this idea that we are the pinnacle of right. the knowledge hierarchy right. <laughs> I mean because you have
1: relationships with these community organizations and because you come from a community organization but you're now at the university how important for your teaching are these uh, pre-existing
0: relationships oh they're, they're everything I, uh, for for me i find myself often trying to play a bridge role because i was challenged when i first got to to tufts full time and asked to teach the foundations of public policy and planning which you know is kind of a Definitely has a serious book learning component and uh, kind of theory base, you know, uh, academic base. And I can definitely roll in that world. And I, I remember having a friend in graduate school who was like, "We're here just to learn how to jive," like university people, right? But <laughs> it's it's a different language, right? So, so I feel like I can I can definitely speak that language and engage in that world and 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 even do not even a half bad job of helping students to engage with it. Mm-hmm. But I found that what was most powerful uh, and what I enjoyed most doing in my role as a as a teacher was bringing the learning from community practice into the classroom and, and finding that that's, a, that's actually a lot of what students are actually looking for. Some of them are quite excited and Eager to embrace more abstract intellectual theories, some of them don't have you know much time for it because they just want to know what do we do, right? And um, but I think that the partnerships that we have, my experience in ACE and working with a lot of other uh, community partners, for me, the the practices, the methods, the tools that we employ in that work that we have innovated and created through that work you know i'm finding that that stuff is is so powerful for even for our students Mm -hmm. and not all our students going to go into community-based work or organizing but but i think things like um the power mapping and analysis that we used to do and we learned that from other organizers Mm -hmm. right that's a central part of what i introduce now in my mid-career master of public policy seminar um and even people who've been in the field working for decades and decades sometimes come to it like wow we haven't really ever used a framework like that Mm -hmm. a lot of this was just embedded knowledge right we kind of know how to work the system because we've been in it for so long Mm -hmm. but being more explicit about how people have power and how to share that knowledge with other folks through a power mapping exercise c- could, could be really powerful for, even for someone who's got a lot of experience. Um, and for folks who don't have as much experience, it's, it's a way to, these are just frameworks, right, that help us to understand the world and the systems that we have to navigate if we, in fact, want to change them, so. You have resources that you would suggest that people look at? There's a lot on popular education, that people can read. Unfortunately, the, the, the contradiction there is that you know, popular education is really something best learned in practice. <laughs> you know, so you can read a lot about it, but it's not the same as actually trying to do it or right, seeing it in action. So the Interaction Institute you know, and a lot of the tools around facilitated leadership, you know, the Teaching Democracy, we have a website for that. It's, you know, at least people can check out what, what we're trying to offer there folks like United for a Fair Economy, and the curriculum that they've created um, as popular education around the economy. So there's a lot out there and I can we can definitely share more. No, that's great. And uh, Well, is there anything that you would want to add? No, this has been a very generative kind of reflection process. So it's really interesting how we reinterpret stuff every time we, we think back on it. But I guess one, one thing that really strikes me A lot more now where people and groups and communities have space and time to develop the kinds of organizations the kinds of collective power the kinds of democratic processes in the best that we can imagine i mean that that's super powerful i don't think we've had enough experience to see that fully in action Mm -hmm. and that's part of i think the work of right this next period is figuring out where we can support those types of formations and to really unleash the collective power, which is yeah. what we always believed in at ACE. Right.
1: Yeah. No. And Penlo, thank you so much for sharing your history and insight, it's been truly a pleasure.
2: Thanks for joining us on the Be Change Podcast.
1: If you like the show, subscribe on whatever podcast player you are listening on and on our website. B-Change.net.
2: Please follow us on Facebook and share with your friends and colleagues.
1: Thanks to our producer, John Concilio, and to our partners, Somerville Community Media and Boston Free Radio.